Hello and welcome to Animation Meditation, a deep dive conversation on all things animation. My name is Andy. With me, as always, my wonderful co-host Nadia. Nadia, how are you doing? Hello, I am lovely, and I am super psyched to talk about this show in particular. Oh, this show, this show is great. For today's episode, we will be talking about the Owl House. This is a show that is created by Dana Terrace, a Gravity Falls alum, and it has been. It has been a show that has been on a lot of people's radar. This is this is a show that I know that you weren't familiar with prior to us doing this. How did how was your experience with that? Uh, well, I hadn't heard about it at all, and then you mentioned it to me, and I remember I just pulled up like a little Google, Google image search because I was like, "What's the vibe of this show?" And I saw some pictures, and I was like, "I think I'm gonna like this," and I definitely did. I think the first couple episodes, I was like warm enough to it, trying to figure out what its deal was, but then as soon as I was like, yep, I love this. I loved it real hard. For those unfamiliar with the show, this show follows a human Latinx girl named Luz Nocenda, who, after a series of reckless decisions in their own school, is sent to a reality check summer camp. Instead of going to this camp, she stumbles through a portal into another world called the Boiling Isles. It is here where she befriends Ida the Owl Lady, her demon companion king, and she starts making friends and going through adventures in this world. Yep. For anybody who has ever been like, I wish that I could just tumble into a fantasy world and learn magic. Boy, is this the show for you? This show is like, I want to say it's like Gravity Falls meets Harry Potter. Yeah. It's it's quite, the the, the premise is quite interesting. Uh, from, from a stand, from like the stills that had come out, I wasn't sure I was going to enjoy the show just because it, it did seem, at least from afar, that it was going to be taking the fantasy tropes a little bit too seriously. And like mm. the, the kind of kids shows that do that tend to not really excite me all that much. But like the from the first episode, it was very clear that we're, it was, we're going to take these tropes and we're just going to throw them out of the window. Yes, it is a very self-aware show too. So they make a lot of jokes about sort of the tropes that they know they're following which I think is hysterical. Um, there's a specific scene I'm thinking of when Ida is at the high school and she's the magic the magic school of, what is it? The magic school of uh, demonics and... The magic school. Yeah. Magic school of the realm. Um, and she's trying to, you know, try to get a spot for Luz to learn there because um, she realizes that she can't really teach her the type of magic, like magic alone and she needs sort of a, a school environment or she wants a school environment. And she's like looking around and there's this table with two girls who are studying and they're talking. One of the girls can't get it. And the other girl is just like, don't worry, try harder. You'll you'll get it. And she gets it. And they go, yay, friendship was the answer all along. <laughs> and they like hug. And she it's just like an obvious uh, sort of nod to all of those shows that are sort of on the circuit now where, you know, friendship either in a very serious manner or a very light manner is sort of the thing that pulls people together. But it was just sort of making fun of it. And, and then Ida, of course, goes, oh, man, Luz is going to love it here. So it was sort of making fun of it in this light way, but also being like, this is something that a lot of people love and that people in this world also love. Um, and I thought that was a very fun, caring way of being like, we're aware of the tropes we're following and we can joke about them, but we're also going to kind of go oh, along yeah. with it in some ways and then counter it in others. What, what really got me, what really hooked me onto the show was episode two specifically, where the entire plot of that episode was actively like, this is what you want. This is what you want out of your fantasy tropes. We're going to establish that we're not doing that. Yep. Yep. 
And I think having, again, having a human character who falls into this world and expects it to follow all these tropes is a perfect, again, she's like the perfect surrogate for an audience who is sort of with her tumbles into this new space and is trying to figure out what it's going to be like. And of course, because we have consumed a lot of media with very stereotypical fantasy tropes, we expect all of these fantastical magics and, you know, wizards with hats and stars and all of these different specific things, just like Luz. So when she kind of counters that, we get to experience it along with her. And that was a really, really fun way of being like, okay, this is going to be a little bit different. Oh, absolutely. I think it's very interesting that Luz's whole deal is that like she's so enamored by this fantasy world and these fantasy tropes that it's a little ironic that like living in a world that actively has all of this magic all of this mysticism is what grounds her down to earth and really like Mm. pushes that that idea of this fantasy away from her yeah yeah, it's also a very, very fun world to be tumbled into. Oh, absolutely. And I think the world building in this is very good. It, it's one of these, sh- it's, this is a show that actively is like, if you care about lore, A, we're going to throw that all out the window. <laughs> but B, <laughs> there's still lore. Yeah. I think the very specific point where I started to be like, and this is a very funny example. It's not like a serious thing at all or anything that's like, you know, really building the, the, the magic. and the, But they were, she went to visit the school and the bell that rings in between classes just screams and hits itself on the head. And that's the bell. And I was like, what a glorious way of just having something familiar and turning it into something that's suddenly not in this very like, you know, fantasy way. And I just laughed out loud as soon as the bell started ringing. And there are all these little kind of like, Uh, I don't know the right word, but all these little things where you can see how they've thought through the way that this world works. Like, I think there was a, like a, a car that had like a siren on it, but it was just a little cage with a critter in it that screamed. And like all of those little details are so fantastic because it's like you can you can see the people uh, who create it sort of churning and being like, how can we take what people know and just make it weirder? And I eat it up. Oh, yes, It, it is great. Uh, the school's name is Hexide School of Magic and Demonics, in case you were wondering. Ah, thank you. I have a whole lot that I want to talk about with the school specifically when we get to that point. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, the, the world building is great in this show. I think from that, that it's either the first or second episode where uh, Ida takes Luz to like see the, the bird's eye view of where they're living just the the remains of this giant dead titan it, it it really adds like what is what is the history here what is happening and we just never address it and i gen and that's something i genuinely <laughs> love like we don't need that address i i have my my mental yeah. image of what could have happened and i think it has that perfect balance too of like you can tell that there is a history here um that they're gonna get into but like you said there are other things that are just this is the way the world is and i think they've really balanced both of those to a space where like i'm excited to learn the history that they're gonna tell me but i also feel like this world is fully fleshed out and what they don't explain i am very happy just you know yeah. taking like yep, this it's is. not important that this needs to be explained i don't need to know what happened here it's not super relevant um and i think one thing that this show does really really well um because like Last week when we were talking about Star, it starts off very episodic, and then the last few episodes, this big thing happens, and this show kind of started out that way for me, and I was first like, okay, this is going to be pretty episodic, and then there's going to be a big thing at the end, but I think even in those little 
episodic episodes, they do a really good job of sort of dropping these history hints or creating windows of questioning or wondering or even just creating character development where it doesn't feel like it's just a one-off episode because you can tell that even if it's a fun little adventure, the stuff that happens is probably going to carry on later. And the character development that happens is is going to flesh out in future episodes. And it's this super fantastic balance of this is a fun moment, but also you feel like it matters and it's going to connect back and it's going to grow and develop. And that's like a perfect sweet spot for me that this show just like hits oh i absolutely perfectly. agree uh, i remember when i f- finished the series i immediately just went through through another rewatch because i was like this is genuinely amazing <laughs> and like, i i specifically did so to like look back and realize like where are the filler episodes uh and how do they lie in terms of the plot and i don't really think at least for the first season that there is a whole lot of filler every single episode adds something to the story whether it's character development whether it's establishing the world that they're living in uh, and continuing the the story. Like, it's even if nothing is happening plot wise, there are relevant things happening throughout every single episode that should be paid attention to. Yeah, absolutely. And I've only watched it once, but I totally agree. And it's very validating to hear hear you say that even after knowing the ending, going back, you can see all those little connections because I I do feel like they laid it out, but only seeing it once, I don't recall all the bits in the beginning that maybe connect back, but like I felt I felt that they were there, those beautiful little nuggets. Yeah, I, I, the the voice cast for this is actually quite good. I really do enjoy, I, I love the representation that they have throughout having a main character that's Latinx is... is and actually speaking actually, Spanish, like, too. So we, talked, just, about, we yeah. talked about Star last week, and you have a Latinx character there in Marco Diaz, but it's almost like with Star versus the Forces of Evil, like Marco's Latinx background is almost like a joke. It's like he just makes nachos. Yeah. That It's it's not a part of his character, whereas like yeah. here you, you feel that it's a part of Luce's character. You feel like you see her just like slip into Spanish at times and... I, I grew up in a in a Latinx household, and I can relate to a lot of the the ways that like Luz's mother actively treats her and actively like wants her to better for her. Yeah, yeah. I was I was really really excited about that too, and I was glad that it carried through, and it wasn't just kind of like oh well here we go, here's our character of color, move on. Like it's it like you said it's a very her relationships are built around her identity. Her, her language is very much expressed. And when she speaks Spanish, it also, like, the show doesn't translate it, which I also really like. It doesn't have her say something in Spanish and then say the exact same thing in English right after. It, like, it allows the space where her language is her language and you don't have to translate it for an audience who might not know. You can feel the value of that. I don't know if that makes any sense. I said it and then I was no, like... No, absolutely, because, like, in, in real life, I personally grew up in a Latinx household. I, I have been known to slip into Spanish words, but, like, no one in real life is going to slip into a Spanish word and then immediately translate it for people that's just not how people talk (laughs) yeah exactly and it's also nice like you don't have to know exactly what she's saying 100 percent of the time to get the feeling or the emotion or sort of the the importance of of whatever she's saying because you know i don't speak spanish so when she was speaking spanish i didn't understand the words but i could still feel that like this is important and meaningful and i didn't need to you know i didn't need to know the exact translation and the show did a really great job of that. Oh, oh, I'm just getting so excited. <laughs> um, yeah, before we break into the spoiler section, I do want to point out uh, just a cute little Easter egg. 
Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but all of the the titles for each episode are just puns on different movies. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm looking at them now. Read read a couple of them out. These are golden. <laughs> so the pilot is uh, a lying witch and a warden, which is a playoff of the lion witch and wardrobe. Um, I'm looking through them. There's Hootie's Moving Castle. M- Hootie's Moving Hassle, which is Hal's Moving Castle, which is beautiful. Uh, some Something ventured, something someone framed. Oh, sense and insensitivity. Sense and sensibility. Wing it like witches. <laughs> oh, this is so, that's fantastic. One other thing before we go into spoilers, the humor of the show in particular like fits this beautiful niche of what I look for. So it obviously has punny titles, punny literature and movie titles, which is like my only type of humor. Um, it has a lot of really funny Harry Potter references. Um, there's a specific moment where they, where Luz is trying to figure out like which school of magic she wants to study. And she's like, can a hat just sort this out for me? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, oh yeah, we have one of those. It just started eating students. Yeah, and they call it, like, the sorty hat or, like, the the figury outy hat. It's, like, some, like, horrible, like, obviously Harry Potter but not, which is hysterical. And then there's this other part where I literally laughed out loud and then immediately rewatched it and then took a video of it to send to a friend and then kept that episode up so that when my boyfriend came home I could show it to him because I thought it was so funny and it's just this tiny little moment where like Luz is very excited about this big school game that's happening and she just goes yay I have more spirit than the actual school spirits and this ghost just floats in and goes why do I even bother (laughs) and throws its pom-poms on the ground and like somersaults away and it was just so funny the humor in this show just gets me I I can't it's perfect, and every time they do something, I'd be like, that's hysterical, even if it's just a school bell ringing. I was like, how do they make that? So funny. But, you know, everything, every single episode I was laughing, I was super excited to watch the next one. The theme song is also just, like, so oh, good. It's, so, it's good. so good. I get, like, so I get like great. super hyped every time the theme song comes on, and it, like, again, it has that very Gravity Fall feels where it's sort of like the, the little the fun little melody and it like goes through all these different and all the characters kind of have a little sequence but it's just like it has so much energy and excitement and it like I usually don't skip any theme song unless I it's like four minutes long and I'm like it's the episode but like I was just so I was excited to get to the theme song every well, time this show, also like you mentioned it having this like Gravity Falls-esque feel to it this show has a ton of Gravity Falls-esque feels to it uh, Alex Hirsch yeah. the creator of Gravity Falls voices a number of characters in the show yeah oh uh and the woman who voices ida is uh pacha's wife in the emperor's yes. new groove uh my my boyfriend raised this as well like he just loves listening to her voice she has this like literally i don't know how to describe it. it's just a fantastic voice where she talks and you're like yes please more i love your voice Ah, uh, so good Another Easter egg I, I do want to pull, point out is that if you take the first letter of each episode title for the show, it spells out a witch loses a true way. Oh my god! Yeah, they put a lot of thought into every aspect of this show, and it's... Which is another, like, very Gravity Falls-esque things where they had sort of those little clues at the end of the episodes and these little hints that would, would carry on later. Like, everything about it has just been so thought out, and I... I love that because it just, it's like the palpable care that the creators have put into it. 
where like every single detail oh, has been crafted and i love that and it just it makes me feel so loved when i watch it because i'm like clearly someone put a lot of love into this and so when you consume it you get to feel all that love and it just feels really nice oh i love feeling love yeah it's good stuff yeah it's it's very clear that people cared about this this was something that people put a lot of thought into and I really, I really want this to do well, and I'm very excited for season two of this. Oh my god, me too. I When we got to the last episode, because I watched it all, and uh, my boyfriend Larry watched some of it with me, like the odd episodes where we were, we were in the same space, and we watched the ending together, and he was just like, all right, and I was like, no, that's all there is. There, season two isn't out yet. And he was like, why do you keep doing this to me? Like, why are you showing me this show and I have to wait now? And he was so disappointed. Um, but, you know, again, I think that speaks to the the awesomeness of this show. Is like, you, we got to the end and we were just like, and why you immediately watched it over again? Because we don't have a season two. So, you know, watching it again, you just want more. Yeah, you just, you just want to keep binging this this kind of content and it's it's just so good i i genuinely enjoyed this experience i do i do want to address one thing before we move into the spoiler section uh we've been comparing the show a lot to harry potter and (laughs) given recent events in 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 jk rowling's public forum (laughs) it's a very diplomatic way of putting it um this this is a show that like it it actively represents a lot of that community in a way that J.K. Rowling is never going to. Yeah, absolutely. And while we are are keep comparing it to Harry Potter, uh, this is not that. And and I think if you enjoy Harry Potter specifically for the the magic elements, but you don't want to support the things that J.K. Rowling has been actively supporting as of recently. This is a good show to actively get into. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Again, back in that love. This show's gonna love you. <laughs> no, no matter what, it's, it's got your back. And I'm just gonna put a little warning out here. Uh, from this point on, we will be talking some very heavy spoilers for this show. Uh, if you have not watched the show, I highly recommend it. Actually, no, before we do that, what would, what would you rate the show? Where Would you recommend it and under what conditions? Um, I would pretty much recommend this to, again, literally anybody. If you, if you have ever been like, man, I wish I could be in a fantasy world and learn magic, regardless of your age, this is the show for you. The characters are high school age, but they feel also kind of like a very youthful high school. I, I think the show is great for kids and teens and adults, which I feel like I always say because I don't think you're ever too old to enjoy a good old-fashioned animated show. And I think if you're looking for something that has got some cool sort of new systems of magic that you get to learn, if you're looking for something that has a world that has clearly been thought out but also has some space for interpretation, this is a great show for you. If you're looking for something that's fun but also clearly has an underlying plot that that is present, and if you're interested in the character development, this is pretty much the show for you. Thumbs up all around. Absolutely. This is this show is genuinely amazing. I absolutely recommend it to anybody. Uh, if you're into that, if you're into fantasy, if you're into the Harry Potter-esque style world of magic and uh, plot-heavy cartoons like this, I think 
this is a a great successor to to Gravity Falls. And I think if, if you enjoy that kind of show where you have this like mystery throughout, but a fun adventure over it, uh, I, I would very heavily recommend this to you. Uh, I do. I also agree this show is great for all ages. I, I don't think you're ever too old to enjoy a show like this. And there are definitely some jokes that are definitely there for adults. I, I, <laughs> there's, I think there's a, there's a scene where like Ida has a mug and it just says 30 and flirty on it. I was like, yes, girl, <laughs> you go, please. <laughs> oh, what a woman. So yeah, from this point, we're going to start delving heavily into the plot of the show. So, spoiler warning from this point on, if you have not seen the show, highly recommend it. If you want to stay despite that, I you do you, boo. <laughs> You'll still enjoy it. Like Andy said, he watched it and then watched it again <laughs> right after, so you can literally know everything about the plot and watch it and enjoy the heck out of it. So, speaks volumes. Alright, um... So I know last week we tried to do this by season and we kept jumping around. So instead, this week I want to try something new. Let's let's just go through the characters and just like their whole span throughout and how we feel. Uh, we can start with Luz. Uh, I love Luz. I love Luz so much. From like episode one, it's very clear that like she's the kind of person who you want in your life, who will defend you no matter what. Yep. Her development is is just done so well it's we we see her grow as a person we actively see her make mistakes and address them like it's a show that actively she's very much wants to be herself but will also acknowledge when her being herself puts others at harm or at risk and is willing to change for it absolutely I agree. I was I was a little worried in the beginning that she would bug me because of those things that she struggles with, like kind of like rushing into things, not thinking them through, being overenthusiastic. I mean, I'm literally also all of those things, so it probably just annoys me because I watch her and I'm like, no, that's what I would do and it's a mistake. But I think the fact that you see her become so self-aware and like grow and develop in those areas, it's just like it's she's such a fulfilling person to watch because she is putting in the time to learn and grow and be a better version of herself and also actively help others be better versions of themselves too, which I think is just something that I really strongly value. And I think that that made her, that made her a really, really lovely character to just kind of go on this journey with because she really does model sort of these fantastic values and characteristics. And she's just so very lovely. Luz had me from episode one as soon as, as soon as she said the word, I have backup snakes, I was like, yes, please continue. <laughs> I need this. Uh, and Luce's connection with Ida is so good. Ida, Ida takes her in initially as a student and, and slowly just starts feeling her out and, and functionally becomes her mother. Um, there's this sort of concept of found family throughout the show, and I think that's a very important virtue to have. Especially like that, that, that I feel like that is a very important message from episode one throughout is that like you can find this family, you can become a, a self-aware person because the people around you want you to be, want to support you as much as they can. Absolutely. Um, yeah, when we're introduced to Ida, she's established to be a wanted criminal in that world, but not 
it, it almost turns that on its head in that she's a wanted criminal, but she's act- actively able to, like, walk around in public without people trying to, to arrest her. Um, and it's, it's very clear that, at least throughout, that she's not a bad person. Like, she's a very good person. She's a very caring person. Uh, and she's only really wanted because she refuses to conform to the coven system that has been established in this world. Yep. What I also love so much about Ida and Luz's relationship is that, like you said, they're both very caring and they're both, but like they're very, very different people. And particularly with that, with the whole thing of found family, I think showing this group that is so different, um, but also care so much about one another and whose differences really kind of round out this family that they create is really, really important. Because I think, you know, we don't have to be around people, and I think it's more valuable to be around people who are different from us, because with those differences, they're able to learn more about one another and also about themselves, and they're able to grow in different ways that people who are similar to them wouldn't push them to grow in. Um, And they complement each other in this really lovely way that I love very much. Oh, absolutely. And another thing about Ida is that it's it's a representation of a demographic that we don't really see a whole lot of in animated shows or honestly shows in general of like a a middle-aged female who's not just there to be a mother figure like it, yeah. it's very much like her becoming a, a mother figure to lose is something that she has to grow into it's not something that's initially there and we watch that character development instead of it just being oh she's just there to be nurturing yeah and she also very much has her own huge personality in addition to that role um, so oh, not absolutely. only do we see her grow into it, but it's not, it's very clearly not sort of the center of her purpose within the show. It's just a lovely thing that develops and blossoms as sort of the plot unfolds. And I, I was also really excited to see that. And like, she has this huge, beautiful, like flowing gray hair, which is awesome. And she, again, doesn't follow into those stereotypes of like, I'm here to be your mom, or I'm here to be like the crazy old witch hag. Exactly. So again, like, a really fantastic thing that that the show did that I was super psyched for because I feel like we get a lot of shows with like the grumpy uncle and we finally got like the grumpy middle-aged woman and I was like good this is who I want to grow into being and that was very exciting for me yeah and she has this sort of I don't I want to say representation of someone fighting like a terminal illness yeah because like yeah she has she's cursed uh it actively, she needs a, a an elixir to stay alive. So it's a, it's a functionally a medication that she needs on a regular basis. Uh, this medication gradually loses its effect and the, the curse affects her more and more, which is not something we see a whole lot, in, especially in kids shows. No one really addresses like terminal illness as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think there was a very specific moment that I'm trying to remember where, where like, Luz is really concerned about her and she's just like honey I've dealt with this for for years like I know what this is like you don't have to I mean Luz does have to worry about her but like you know she was trying to be like you don't have to worry about me and I also thought that that kind of you know the pity that people who have a terminal illness get all the time was again like reverted and turned on its head like I am I mean she's also like the most powerful witch in the whole freaking world but then to also to be like, you don't have to pity or worry about me. Like, I, I can take care of myself. I got this. Even though this is something that, you know, is is seen as a 
is is a hindrance, right? Like it's holding her back in in many ways, and it's very scary. But you know, she's not gonna let it dictate her life or her future. She's gonna keep kicking like the awesome woman she is. Yeah. Woo. And I think it's a very powerful message that you get from Ida is just her insistence on wanting to not limit herself by simply focusing on one course of study. Yeah. And this is what causes her to be a a criminal in the eyes of the Emperor's Coven, and this is why people want to bring her in. And I think it's great, just like actively enforcing wanting to study more and wanting to actively learn about everything is a very important message to, to send to a younger audience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Ida, if I can talk really briefly about the school here too, because what Ida essentially does is she's looking at this world and she's saying these systems are harmful and I'm not going to abide by these systems and structures that you've set up because I think that they're hurting people or, you know, not allowing people to be the best that they can. And I think, first of all, that's just a heck of an important job for everyone to be doing in their daily life. It's really difficult. So the fact that we can watch her kind of do that is is a great model of the way that we can be critical in our own lives. Um, and I think one of the one of the big things about the school that I wanted to talk about is like, you know, the whole idea is you you go through the school and there are nine major covens and you have to choose which coven you follow and then you can only study that track of magic through your schooling. And that's functionally been the way that it's been forever and Luz is able with a couple of other students to kind of subvert that expectation, but it's, you know, a rarity and they have to fight incredibly hard for it. It's not, it's not something that comes easy. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's heavily implied in the show that, 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 co- like following a coven of magic is purposeful. It, 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 it the fact that it is yes. detrimental to society is purposeful on the emperor's part. Uh, it, it's, it's. Because when you, when you. It, when you join a coven, you essentially lose your ability to do all other forms of magic. Exactly, and it's it's to keep the emperor the only one who's capable of performing all these feats of magic, and it, it, it keeps everyone below the emperor a, a person less than them, so there's no way for them to actively rebel because no one's actively practicing magic in a way that can compete with the emperor. Is this capitalism? um yeah no absolutely and i think one of the things that i really loved because i i went to grad school for teaching and i taught for a couple of years and i ended up leaving the school system for a lot of the reasons that i feel like ida does and i think the the fact that the show is really showing sort of the detriment of having somebody choose a specialty and only focus in that area the idea that the school and the world as a whole expects conformity and is going to punish anything that is different or divergent from what their expectations are. And the fact that they, they're they kind of pandering to this idea of obedience and, you know, following the expectation to to a fault or, you know, you're donezo. Um, and the fact that these avenues kind of happen through through the school, I think, like, it was really validating for me to watch because I was like, I, I was watching it and I was like, this is what I felt. I was being asked to do when I was a teacher and it's what I felt I was sort of asked to do as a student and I think that to show that it, I think it's the first time I've ever really seen education represented that way within a show where it's so self-aware and it's really acknowledging the fact that learning is important but the way that a lot of places ask us to do learning isn't necessarily 
the best or only way that you can learn. Um, and that for me meant a whole lot just just to see that to see that shown because obviously everyone in the show really wants to learn. Luz wants to learn. Ida wants to teach her and you know yeah. come the end of the show yeah. has to learn too and school is the avenue that Luz is doing that but it doesn't represent that as the only way that you can learn and I think it also actively says that it's probably not the, be- the best way for a lot of people to yeah, learn. There's even a whole episode where like that's the entire thesis statement of the episode where, yeah. where Luz gets sent to detention for wanting to learn from multiple covens and you see all the people in detention and everyone there is just like you you initially get this idea of like oh they're in detention they're not good students but that just gets flipped on its head where like they are good students they are there to learn and they actively do everything they can to learn from all of the different covens and they want to actively mix different magic covens to to be able to do their own unique abilities and at the end of that episode they prove that that is the direction that they should be going yeah and i think you know again this this show is a beautiful um it's a beautiful magical world but it's also very clearly a window into our own world and i think you know again we're able to look at it and and see all of these systems and structures that we experience and it's obviously different and they're learning magic and they're all these crazy things that are that are individual to that world and its history but but it still allows you to kind of look through and glimpse the issues that we might be facing or struggling with in our own lives and our own world and i i think that this show does that in a really beautiful way where it's not it's like really trying to get at these core values and show how maybe in our lives we're not able to live those core values whether it's because of the school system or like you know the the criminal justice system cuz Ida's on the run you know people are looking for her and uh I don't know how to like finish this thought, but it it was very, very meaningful for me to see that represented in the show. And it was super validating to my own choice to leave education because I was like, Eve is awesome and she left and I'm awesome even though I left this goal that I had for like my whole life to be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> that was just like for me the, the moment where I was like, all right, this show really is really getting to me at a very personal level and a very meaningful level. And I have so much respect for the because they also still respect education, right? Like Luz wants to learn and Ida wants to learn and she's putting, she's choosing to go to school and learn. So it's, you know, clearly education and schooling is important. It's just, we have to be critical of the way it's done. Oh, and yeah. And you get to see that like progress that Ida makes in terms of coming to terms with how to teach Luz, where they have the entire episode where they're out in the wilderness and Ida's like, eat the snow, learn about the rocks. And from that, Luce does learn that, like, there is magic in everything. She does learn that new spell because she actively pays attention to the snow. But it, it also, on the other hand, it makes Ida realize that Luce can gain a lot from being in this school setting and from learning from other people who aren't her. And that's exactly what she wanted to do, and, and she's not going to be the person to get in the way of Luce doing that. Yeah. Because again, it's also about choice. And if somebody is choosing to be to be in this space that maybe didn't work for you, then it might work for them. And I think the fact that Ida respects Luz's ability to be self-aware and to make choices is, again, a great model of being a good support system. Yeah, this show for somebody actively else. hammers in the concept of people are different. People like different things. People act differently. And you have to respect that. 
And I think that's a very good message to to really like come across in the show. Yeah. And I don't think and it's it does a great job. It's never like this like very preachy moment where it's like love each other. It's just again through the action, through the characters, through their own experiences, these these strings of meaning are woven together. Um, but it doesn't feel like the show's trying to hammer this idea into your head or like be really preachy and like syrupy. It's it's very authentic and it happens very naturally. Oh, yeah. None of these things are explicitly said in the course of the show. It's it's all context. <laughs> there, it's there's all... not an episode called Everybody Hates School. <laughs> uh, can we can we talk about King for a moment? I oh, love please, King so go much. ahead. It's so adorable. It's just so adorable. <laughs> And I love that, I love that, so King is voiced by Alex Hirsch. The yes. Very obvious. Very, very obvious. And I love that Alex <laughs> Hirsch like, chooses wow, that's, to that's Bill just do Bill Cipher. It's literally yeah. just Bill Cipher <laughs> is the King's voice. It took me a really long time to separate that from my head because he immediately talked and I was like, oh no, because I have such an aversion oh, same. to, to Absolutely. Bill Cipher. I heard him talk and I was like, oh, oh God, oh God, what is happening? And I had to like actively <laughs> remove it from my head. I was like, no, he's he's just all talk. He's not actually this like super powerful demon king. He's just a little dog. He's just a little puppy. A little but cutie. like it, it's because like we I have I love Gravity Falls I love Alex Hirsch and Alex Hirsch does a great job with Bill Cipher of like establishing Bill as this dominant, all knowing, powerful being, and King just isn't that. <laughs> He's literally the opposite. But not. But uh, like he is a demon from another realm. I mean, yes, yes, but one who has a bunch of stuffed animals and has tea parties and. Who has a little Burger King crown to make him feel <laughs> and that's, special? That's one of those things that, like, that's what really endeared me to Ito when Ito was like, "Yeah, we got him this crown." Is like, it's just a Burger King crown. It's like, yeah, but it's meaningful to him, so I wanted to make sure that he yeah. got it. It's like that's yeah. that's really cute. Like, this is someone who's important to your life, and you know that like this trinket that's literally trash is meaningful to them. So you went out of your way to make sure that they, they could have it. That is, yeah. I think that's, like, the perfect sum up for Ida. And that happens in the first episode, so we know that, like... literal first episode. Yeah. establishes her character from that point. Yeah. Which, again, going back to my teaching and good writing, like, good writing is having a character do something that then gives you this whole insight into who they are without them ever having to say or overtly be like, I am a caring person. Like, all she had to do was get this crown for her friend, and suddenly we know all of these different character traits of of this character who we've literally just met. We've experienced them for like 20 minutes. All right, so still on King, can I take a guess at what your favorite episode is? Uh, Enchanting Gromfright aside. Okay, okay, good. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I am so excited to, yes. We're gonna gonna get there. We're going to get to that point. But that that episode aside, can I can I just guess what I think your favorite episode was? Yes. Uh, is it Sense and Insensitivity, where Luce and King write a book together? <laughs> I did really love that one. <laughs> I think, like the I was I was rewatching it, and the line uh, was something along the lines of like, "Don't you dare, don't you dare speak ill about shipping in my presence," or something along those lines. And I was like, "That that's." Yes. That was definitely one of the episodes where I was like, okay, so I relate to Luz right now so hard. 
in the way that I very seriously and very passionately engage with literature. Yes. And I think that's also another great, great episode where they, like, build this beautiful relationship together and, like, all of these gushy, lovely things where they, you know, you really start to see that they have a friendship and, like, they care about each other and all these lovely things. Well, And this is one of those episodes that, like, is a perfect example of this episode does not move the plot forward at all. But in it, you get this very powerful character development and that, like, King has to acknowledge that he's not the end-all be-all of things. He needs Luce's help to be able to write this novel. Luce actively learns that, like, she needs to be able to give and take when it comes to these things. And, and they both grow because of it. Yeah. And then again, that growth stays. Like, they now have, they have this relationship that develops and the things that they learned carry on into other episodes. Which is so gratifying. Alright. Let's 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 move on to the school and some of the, the the schoolmates that Luce meets and becomes friends with. I I want to put these two characters together just because I don't feel that they get enough screen time to really delve out on their own, but like Willow and Gus are two of Luce's friends and they're two of the first people Luce really meets and gets to know in this world and and I think that their dynamic with Luce is in my opinion one of the weaker aspects of the show but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing like this is if this is the weakest part of the show that is fine these these are still good dynamics these are still good characters yeah and I I, again I think you know the reason why they're a little bit weaker is maybe their development and they do develop and grow but it's it is a little bit less than some of the other characters and i think that they like they already have a great relationship moving in so they don't really have to build they don't you don't get to see the process of them building their friendship like they meet and you're like oh okay these guys are all going to be friends and then they are um, but i also think that that's kind of comforting to have this sort of foundational relationship where like you just kind of know what to expect from them together in terms of like supporting each other or or you know you kind of know who these characters are and while you have all these other characters who are like growing and learning and building and changing it is kind of it is kind of nice as an audience member to have this little kind of consistency where you're like i know you're gonna pretty much be the same and i'm okay with that i think my personal issue in terms of like why these these two are so weak is it feels like these two characters tend to just be vehicles for other characters character development yeah, I definitely, I definitely understand that. Like nine times out of ten, if 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 there's an episode that centers around these two, it's really just pushing the character development for Luce or Amity at 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 that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, and I I think we have even less of Gus than we do Willow. I mean, they both get an episode to themselves. Gus gets that episode where he tries to prove that he has access to a human. Ah. I think it's because the I, I, the Willow episode had Amity and I love her so much <laughs> that I remember that one way more than I do the Gus episode. Yeah, but also like the Willow episode was literally just we're going to start the, the redemption arc for Amity and yeah, that's really all Willow is to them. Yeah, I, I definitely do. I do. I do agree with that. Um, they are definitely not the ones that are the most interesting or compelling and but I, I do think that, like, of, you know, we have Gus, who he, you know, says he skipped a couple grades, so he's younger than other people, and that's also kind of an identity that is important, and we have Willow, who 
who really struggles with certain aspects of magic but is now is now kind of finding her her power and her her friends and her space and i think even even though they're kind of they are definitely without a doubt more vehicles for others i do think that the identities ascribed to them are are still important ones i think that just goes to show that like you know they've even thought out sort of these aspects of these sort of background characters who are pretty much just like we're friends we help you and others yeah whoa yeah honestly that's pretty much all i have to say about them willow is very very sweet i yeah they're both i do i do enjoy them um but i don't find them particularly interesting and i don't think i'd go on like a flailing rant about either of them i mean <laughs> like i would amity because i, mean, I would could, die we could her. move on to a character that i'm sure you will go on a flailing rant about Amity? Amity? I I love Amity and I genuinely love the the character arc that she goes through. Like it's established from like episode 1 that from episode 1 from the first episode we see Amity, she's a bully to Willow. And that episode does a lot to establish her as a person because not only from that episode do we establish that she's kind of this alpha who needs to be in power and is actively bullying others to get that power. We also establish that she is the one of the top students at Hexide. We establish that she is someone who cares about her studies and actively moves forward with that. And from there, we there's that episode where Lewis and Amity have to duel. And that's an episode that actively establishes that like Amity is someone who does not cheat. She's not a inherently bad person because she actively, A, gets mad at Luce when she finds out that Ida went out of her way to cheat for her. And is also very deeply upset when she finds out that um, Lilith, kind of without her knowledge, was trying to cheat on her behalf. She's like, exactly. she's incredibly upset and like, you know, it's very clear that she had nothing to do with this. She wasn't trying to, like, she wanted it on her own merit and her own skill and her own, like, she wanted to earn that spot. Yeah, and they have they sit down and they have that conversation at the end of that episode where they're like, look, you don't know magic. You're, you're not a magical being. But I'm acknowledging that you have to work twice as hard to be able to do the things I do naturally. And even though I don't like you right now, I have to acknowledge that you are someone who isn't going to give up. And I need to accept that. And I think that I am... I'm just putting together a parallel between Amity and Luce and Ida and Lilith. Ooh. Spell because they, they just give they me the good. Because like at, at, at the end of the season, there's there's the the they, they're talking about Edith and Lilith's past, and they, they literally go through that exact same motion where Lilith was the one who actively had to jump through so many hoops and had to work twice as hard to be as good as. Was the other way around? That might have been the other way around. No, I think it was Lilith, because Lilith was... Is she the younger sister? Yeah. Right? I'm not sure. But I think I think it was. It was because for Ida, things came really naturally, but she also... Like, it's clear that she still cared. She still put in work and time, and she worked very, very hard. Um, But she was very powerful, and Lilith also worked hard, but had to work even harder. Twice the effort to, yeah. to keep up. Yeah. And I think for for Lilith, that became sort of an area of contention. So, like, there's that that interesting parallel between the two of them and having the natural instinct and then also having to work hard. But then there's also, 
I think that that shows a clear distinction between Lilith and Luce, where Lilith was very bitter about the fact that she had to work harder. She was upset. And that's what, you know, one of the reasons that drove her to curse her sister was that she was kind of tired of being the one that was always a little bit behind, even though she felt like she was putting in more work. Whereas Luce is just so excited to learn and be a part of this space that she... Like, in the beginning, she, you know, wants to be the best and the chosen one and all these great things, but I think she's she's grown to the point where she just wants to be a part of it. And even though her magic is different, and even though it's not as instinctive or, you know, powerful as her friends, like, she knows that she has value regardless. And it's not going to become a point that she's bitter about. And I, I like that. That being said, I do, I do love Amity. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Back to Amity. So like I've previously stated, I have such a soft spot for for characters who kind of in the beginning struggle to express their emotions and then grow into being able to care about others and show that care. That like that's what gets me. You know, your your good old Zuko's, your your Tom's, your Amity's. Like I was like, okay, this character was just made for for me to love yeah and it's a redemption arc that's absolutely believable like the 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 things that she does are she's a teenager these are absolutely things you can relate to in terms of like you have this childhood friend and then you sort of grow into being your own person and gaining this popularity and you throw that friendship away in, in in trade for something that you in reality don't really need and like amity comes to terms with that and actively moves forward to be a better person yep and like even even her initial dislike of loose like when when we find her diary and she's all these bits like it's very clear that she's every time she interacts with this person she gets in trouble or she has to deal with this difficult emotion and like you know having a dislike associated with that makes total sense right like she's not just like i hate you human like she has a very genuine reason reason to dislike this person yeah and they're super human reasons too of like i don't know how i feel about you and i always get in trouble and you're making me question sort of my own sort of place in this world and all of all of those things um also she gay and that (laughs) also uh can, can we please talk about uh amity and lose because Lucity? i lost i am Emil- yes so i was thoroughly expecting i was going through the show and i was like we're not probably not gonna be able to have a like nadia shipping quarter uh in this show in this episode because there aren't really any relationships that are developing and I, that's totally fine like you've got friendships but there wasn't anyone where i was like yeah i see a romantic interest budding here and that's something that i can get behind and then like in the in the last few episodes it just throws it at you (laughs) and suddenly you're like i would die for amity and lose to get together because the so the scene so there's that you know the uh what is it the the grom knight the grom fright yes grom fright um and there's the beautiful scene where they're like dance fighting together and they're like dancing but they're also fighting and at one point there's one point where amity like draws a circle with her foot as Luz is like spinning her around and that makes magic and i was like this is you know because they have the circle magic and you've i've only ever seen it people do it with their hands and just this moment of it being done in a different way with so much beauty and grace it like 
stunned me. But that entire scene, I, I like, I don't say this as an exaggeration. I literally was like, I was grinning. It started and I just started grinning and I didn't stop smiling until that sequence was done. I like, I couldn't close my mouth because it was so well done. And I was like, okay, so that was the most, that was the most intense moment I've ever seen between these two characters. And from the very beginning, they like, Luz like pulls her in to dance and their faces are really close together. And I was like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to wait for them to kiss now until it happens and my life won't be complete until it does. Um, and I was really worried. I was like, are they gonna do the thing where they just become friends? And it's like, what a beautiful friendship. And are they not gonna make it gay? And then for the rest of the episode, and then and then you find out that Amity wanted to invite Luz to Grom Night, and that was her de- deepest fear. And I was like, okay, they're doing it. And then every other time Luz talks to her, she starts to blush. And I was like, stop it, stop it, my heart. Um, and then you know, cannot you know from then on, I'm like, okay, so clearly Amity is like, got the crazy hots for Luz. We don't. I, I don't quite, we don't have any inclination that Luz has the same romantic feelings towards her yet. Yeah, it's it's very, it's very from like rivals to friends to one-sided crush to a completely oblivious party kind of story. Yes, which kind is, again, super realistic. Like that's, yeah, oh, that's, that's yeah. life, man. I believe... Luce has been confirmed to be canonically bi in this world by the creators. <gasps> Good. Which is which is a representation that we don't really get to see a whole lot. Good. And I like yes! it. I really yes! do. Yeah, I'm super into it. And I, I like, again, I kept holding off reservation that they were going to actually make it like genuine romantic love because I feel like I've been burned so many times by shows that they're like lol just friends or like you know in Korra where you're like kiss 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 and then they gaze at each other and it ends and I was like no um so to finally I kept being like they're dancing but maybe it's just his friends she invited her to Grom but maybe it's just his friends and then Amity kept blushing and I was like okay I'm starting to I'm starting to have like genuine hope that this is gonna happen and then I think in the next episode there's a scene where Luz asks Amity to join her for um, uh, for for the game, and she like her entire face goes red, and she goes, "Me and you in cute outfits, this way," <laughs> and her whole face goes red, and she like runs away. And I was like, at that point, at that point, I was like, okay, like this is this is real. This is a hundred percent gay love. And oh, it's adorable. It's ab- I also love how like all of the things in this world are like, yeah, we're just throwing a G in front of it. Got Grom, you got Grudby. <laughs> yep. Gr- yep. And it's so I do good. I do have to say I am still a little worried. I, I would like to see where this goes in season two in terms of their relationship because A, to my knowledge, this is the first Disney property that has a character that in universe is explicitly LGBTQ. And I really want to see this relationship flourish. But what I don't want to see is the same thing that like, you brought up with Korra, where we don't get to see that relationship until the literal last episode. Yeah, and even then, you don't even get, like, an on-screen kiss. Exactly. Or anything. 
Um, yeah, and I think the the one, like, I do really like how their relationship took time, right? Like, from from kind of from rivals to acquaintances to friends and now to this sort of one-sided attraction, and we don't quite know where it's going to go yet. Um, but, and Amity wasn't in the last couple episodes except for, like, one moment, and she has a broken leg, and that explains why she's not there. And, like, I, and I get that they really got into the plot and they got into these other things that had to happen, but I, I was like, it was like such a such a letdown to me. I was like, where's where's Amity? Where's their love? Um, more gay people. Yeah, screen. and I think it also <laughs> like part of part of why I was so worried that it wasn't gonna happen was that up until the episode the the Grom Night Grom Fright episode, I didn't I didn't see anything that implied that either of them had any type of interest in one another that wasn't a friendship. Like, I, I don't think, and you've seen it twice, so maybe you can correct me, but I didn't see anything up before that episode that implied that Amity had feelings for Luce that weren't just platonic. And so that kind of took me by a little bit of surprise. Like, I was in it from the beginning, but I was also like, that's why I was so reserved to kind of be like, okay, are they going to actually make this a legitimate romantic attraction? Um, because I feel like it did kind of come a little bit out of nowhere for me. I didn't have, yeah. there weren't like the little hints up, up Yeah, thinking it. back on it, I, do, I also don't really remember there, there being any hints leading into it, but I also don't think that they had the space. Yeah, and I also think yeah, that that's okay. And like, you know, th- then it makes sense that, okay, Luz was writing all about Amity and her diary and like all of these other <laughs> things that aren't explicitly romantic, but they kind of, put, or like, this is why she was so caught up in, or maybe confused about her feelings for her when she came to the school and like all of all of these things. But I think they had to be very careful with that because like Amity was still going through a redemption arc at that point and to actively yeah. if they were to address a romantic relationship before properly redeeming her, it would have made it seem like all of Amity's progress to that point was simply due to asexual attraction instead of an, a yeah. genuine want and need to be a better person to these people yeah i totally i totally get that also can we talk about sorry this is like a to- that was a very good point and now i'm just like let's talk about their cute dresses but <laughs> um, but when when let's Luz, talk about their cute dresses let's talk about their cute please. dresses when Luz came into the ballroom in this like purple poofy dress with like a like a a tail coat i was like oh, girl yes. and combat boots i was like honey yes you do it. Also, that was a moment where I was like, okay, that's pretty gay. <laughs> like, that's that's a pretty awesome outfit. It's pretty gay. Um, And, like, you know, it was purple and being bi and all of those exciting things. So, I, I, I agree with you. I'm still nervous at the way that they're going to deal with this. And I really hope that it... I mean, from what they have shown so far, there's a lot of promise. They, they yes. clearly establish that this is a relationship that they are willing to address on screen on multiple occasions and can move forward with that. I just yeah. want to see this relationship flourish from more than one episode. Me too. And I think that the show has proven that they are very good at character development and also building relationships. And I think this is like the perfect foundation, like this is the perfect relationship to build you know, slowly but with with purpose and intention, and in a really meaningful way. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be optimistic about it because I have to because I it is my life now. Yeah. Uh, staying on enchanting Gromfright, the yes. I don't want to say more important plot relevant 
uh, aspect of that episode. But there, there is there the this ends this establishes Luce's fear of admitting that this is something that she is doing to her mother. And yes. yeah, this is something I know we talked about this at relative length about Marco Diaz in Star Wars of the Forces of Evil, and this is a very interesting parallel that I did not intend to be a thing when we decided to record (laughs) these episodes in this order but we did talk about marco's inactivity and inability to contact the people on earth and talk to them and and keep up those relationships and that is something that loose also does but we address that and we address the reasons why she does that and she also feels remorse for it like it is clearly this thing that she is thinking about and worried about and feels guilty for doing. It's not just like, oh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, it's it's not like we get an episode where Luce just tries to rush through a painting of herself and then just, like, sort of give it and then leave. There, And then does, like, the exact same thing that she felt guilty of for the <laughs> remaining of the season. Yeah, and I, I, to jump to the, hold on. I'm trying to remember to, to jump to the ending when Luce burns up the portal. Cause I think she says, I think she says like, I'm sorry, mom. Right? Yeah. Yeah, she does. Is that what she, and I thought for a moment that she was apologizing because she was going to hand over the door and she was going to actively put her home and her family in some type of risk. And for that to not be the end goal and for her to really be saying like, goodbye, wasn't what I expected and that made that moment like really resonant yeah especially when you you get that lead in where like it's clear that she's remorseful it's clear that she wants to continue this relationship and like I think Luce's mother is a very interesting character in that it's very clear that Luce's mother cares for Luce and it's not like I don't know how to phrase it it's yeah go ahead no, I lost it. Is it? I'm gonna try to put words in your mouth and please be like, no. Only that's if wrong. they taste good. But <laughs> I feel like because from the, I feel like with their relationship, and again, we we've only seen we've seen her with her mom in the very beginning, and then only, and then through like a couple of texts and stuff. But the I think that the main thing is like clearly her mom cares a lot about her. But there's this thing about Luce, this, this like, desire and interest and fantasy that she doesn't, she just doesn't get it. Yeah, and it's like, even in the, the short instances where we do get Luce's mother, we do learn a lot about her. Like, she works in the healthcare field. It's clear that she works long hours. Like, she's coming to pick her, her daughter up in uniform, like, actively. Like, this, she's worked all day. And... I don't know if it's explicitly stated, but it appears that she is a single mother trying to provide. Yeah, I mean, that that was my assumption just because we don't ever, there's nothing that's ever mentioned about the father, and she never talks about her dad in any way. So I, I have assumed that she's raising Luz on her own. Yeah, and it, it's clear, like, she clearly cares for Luz. She wants to encourage all of these things. Like, she doesn't chastise Luz for doing the things she's doing. She's just saying this is something that needs to change we're going to actively do so, support you as much as i can in what you're doing but we're going to do what we can to change this yeah 
Yeah, I'm. I'm. That is one of the things I'm very interested to see how it unfolds, in in like in the next season and the rest of the show. Because there's a lot of cliffhangers. <laughs> but yeah, the the end of Enchanting Gromfright ends with, uh, the realization or the the reveal that Luce's mother is receiving letters. Yeah. From someone. And it's established that it's not Luce because Luce goes, oh, that's a cute way to say text. I, I haven't been sending any letters. <laughs> and then also it flashes the letters and Luce's name is spelled wrong and crossed out and rewritten, which is another, like, indication that something is off. But yeah, the, uh, so as of the recording of this episode, season two has not aired. Uh, this The answer to this question has not been... Uh, divulged to us so let's, let's do you have any beautiful theories do you have any beautiful little, little theory nuggets that you want to put on the table for me to eat um i honestly don't know i i'm usually very good at like guessing these things out and it's like of the established characters i don't see it being ida i don't i don't see a reason why that that should I'm wondering because I because at first I read it as very sinister, and I'm wondering if it could be somebody who's tr- who like like Ida or King, who knows that maybe Luce is struggling with this and is trying to help in kind of a misguided way. By trying to, or maybe they feel guilty that Luce isn't with her mom and they're trying to kind of involve her or like reassure but, her that Luce is okay. Now that I think about it further. The the last two episodes established that the portal to Earth is a rare item. The, the Emperor is actively fighting to acquire that portal. So it's not something that can be easily found. It, it, and, and being able to get to Earth, like whoever is sending these letters needs to be able to access that. Or be exactly. in Exactly. And... If the Emperor has no access to Earth, then it can't be him unless, for some reason, his access to Earth is just, like, a small male slot. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> but it would make sense if if Ida is the only character who has that access up until that point. It would actually make sense if it was her or King or, or someone in that household. But to what end, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't figured... I have, like, I have a couple of theories, and I feel like it's really fun to record an episode where we don't have season two yet, because we get this fun space of kind of, like, projecting ideas and putting out theories without having any concrete answers. Um, but that was definitely one where I was like, wow, I I don't... I don't know what's going to come of this. Um and I have, a, I, have, I have a couple theories I want to run by you. I don't know if you want to talk about Lilith, okay. if you want to talk about Lilith, and then move into maybe some season two projection ideas. Yeah, let's, let's talk about Lilith. Lilith is an interesting character. Yes. And I think, I honestly did not think much of her on my initial viewing, but upon a rewatch, I really, like, I initially did not really enjoy her, her redemption arc, but upon a rewatch, I really thought it through, and I think everything actually does fit in place. Everything does make sense for her. And on a whole, I don't think her redemption arc is done. They they end the oh, season no. in a position where she has started that path of being a, a better person for what she's done to Ida, but no one's really forgiven her at this point. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I think she serves as this really fantastic foil for Ida, too, because as as we talked about before, if Ida is this person who is really kind of looking at the world and society and these structures and trying to figure out, are these good or bad, and do I, do I perpetuate them or do I create my own path? Lilith is one of those people that is just like, this is... This is the way of the world and I have to work within this world and within its structures to just do the do the best that I think I can within within this world. So she's not really willing at this point to challenge any of the rules and expectations of this world that she lives in, which is a great sort of comparison with Ida, who is the opposite. And I, I agree, like, because she, she's that character that kind of goes back and forth and you're like, okay, you're doing bad things. And then you're like, okay, well, I guess it's for a good reason, even if it's really misguided. And then she does something bad. And you like never quite know where you stand with her, which is sort of a little, like, I find that to be a tough position in an audience member to be in with a character. And so in terms of her redemption, I think like really looking back at everything that she did to Ida, it's established that her intentions were good throughout at least to a degree. Like, she's someone who who saw, who saw who wanted something and was willing to pay a cost for it. And initially, when it came down to her and Ida fighting over being able to enter the, the Witch's Coven, she... Emperor's yeah, Coven. Yeah, the Emperor's Coven. Uh... She took a cost. She tried to curse, and under the impression that it was only going to be for that day, she was not creating a permanent damage to Ida, she cursed her. Yeah. Un- unnecessarily, Ida wasn't going to-, to fight, but... And again, she, like, it was a cost, but again, she wasn't the one who had to pay it, which is what makes it so un- so bad for me, right? Like, she... She wasn't willing to sacrifice something for herself to get ahead. She was willing to sacrifice something from somebody else to get it. So it's like bad on two accounts. But it's also like from that point on, she regretted what she did and she continued to work with the Emperor's Coven and every single decision she made up until that point was with the end goal of bringing Ida into the Emperor's Coven and fixing the curse that she put upon her. Every yeah. single one of her decisions, uh, putting Luce's life at risk, actively pursuing Ida for years, all of these decisions were with the end goal of, I am going to heal my sister. Yeah, that's true. And it's not until the Emperor reveals that that is not his intention that she decides to go, to get, uh, go against him. Yeah. I'm excited to see where her character goes, because like you said, I think this is really just the beginning for her. I feel like we were leading into something with talking about Lilith. I can't remember what. Yeah, sorry. I got up. I got up to turn the light on, and then I feel like I messed up the whole flow of our <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> yeah, but you. you, I know. I was sitting in. I was sitting in darkness for for too long. I needed to become enlightened, which could lead us into talking about what I think is the show's representation of religion. I I would like to hear that absolutely. So I, I'm going to preface this by saying that I'm not a very religious person. I was raised Jewish, but by like a very atheist family, uh, or dad at least. Um, 
and like my religion has always been more cultural it's been about the community and the celebrations and the food and the history and that's been what is rooted in me so that's sort of like the perspective that i'm coming from but i feel like for this show as soon as the the emperor because the whole the whole history it was that you know witches were wild and there was all of this magic that was going uncontrolled and then the emperor came and was like i can speak to i can speak to the island essentially i don't remember the exact name of how what are, what are they what is the name they use to refer to who he's speaking or what he's speaking to the because it, it, it right because like he he comes in and he's like i have heard the word of oh, yeah. the, this oh. land and i can't remember like the name that is ascribed to it for some reason it's like escaping me um but he pretty much like he comes in and is like i i am the only one who can hear the word of of this land or this power and i am going to tell you all what it is saying and you are going to listen and that's pretty that's pretty much religion right there right yeah. I, like yeah. <laughs> like you know regardless of what it is it's i can speak to this to god or this entity or whatever and that be that entity or that you know god will will say what is good and what is right and then we'll all do it and again i am definitely coming from a very non-religious background so i don't mean to offend people who um who are religious who have religion that is important to their their lives and their identities but that came off in the show as overtly something that is representative of religion and I don't know if that's the way that you interpreted it or saw it um, I mean, through your watch. Through- I would I would interpret that more as a cult than a religion. But the difference between cult and religion is a very thin line. Yeah, because like in Shira, there was the whole big cult near the end that was like, okay, this is very clearly like an extremist cult community and culture. But in this show. It's much more reserved. It's just a being who, you know, we read as evil, who is using this structure that I see as a very religious structure to overtly obtain the means to his goals, which we don't quite know yet. So not to say that he's like, I mean, obviously he's using it in a very sinister way. And I'm not trying to imply that that is the way that religion is, although I think it is the way that religion can be used now. (laughs) <laughs> but not to get too political in episode two, but I, I think that, like, it was, I saw it as explicitly using this format that can be a very powerful and positive format, right? I'm not saying that, that it can't be, but he was using it to create obedience in a very selfish way. I don't know if it's allusion to any particular religion is intentional upon no. the, the writers of the show, but it, I think it does, at least going into season two, it would create this very interesting dynamic where you're you're creating this message of be careful of who you're listening to. Yes, and, you know, don't, don't blindly trust because of X, Y, or Z. Exactly, like, don't blindly follow a position of power simply because they are in a position of power. Learn to question it, learn to uh act around it yeah and i i think that sorry i'm trying to put put my put my head back on 
I don't talk about I don't talk about religion a whole lot. I mean, this is an aspect of the show that I did not put together because it, it, it's very much not until the very end where they actively go through that. So I was not prepared to have this deep a conversation. <laughs> the thing that got me was when he was like, like, I speak, I am the only one that can speak to the Isles and I have heard the word and this is his, this is his, like, he has chosen to find mercy on Luce and Ida and they will not be, you know, like, petrified for his goal like it was like a very clear but it was just this it was literally just the format of i am the only one who can speak to this powerful being and i am going to tell you what to do and you are going to trust me because i am speaking to this thing that you can't see and i was like that's that's uh, that that feels like religion to me and i'm really curious to see where that's gonna go and like you said i don't know if this is something that the show creators are conscious of that they're building these parallels but that was like that was immediately what came to my mind and like you said also this this blind following based off of faith right like i think faith is important but it but i think the show is trying to say that it's important to to do what is right within your belief system and not to just blindly follow it right whether it's religion or education i think that it's really questioning both of these both of these aspects of our world and i think it's doing it so far in really interesting ways the education has been much more overt and i'm really curious to see where they're gonna go with with the emperor um but that was just what immediately came came to my mind when i saw it yeah and i'd be interested in seeing where like that leads into in season two just because i don't i don't see disney being the kind of company to actively attack any given religion or actively yeah demonstrate which is why i was so surprised i was like do they know they're doing this to to some degree they have to be aware of that yeah but i don't think they're ever going to explicitly call it a religion or explicitly or in any way acknowledge a comparison between this and any existing religion i don't think that's something that the show will do or really can do on the platform that they're uh, putting it out on yeah i totally agree i just thought it was opening up some interest because again i was like are they are they doing this and how are they going to move forward with this especially considering the fact that they're on disney so going into some theories now that we're talking (laughs) about the emperor i am really excited to talk about um what you think because he keeps talking about kind of like what is it it's like the the unification yes the the grand plan yeah the unification and there are some other you know the the last two episodes are the ones that really get into the emperor and like that plot line um so i'm just super curious to see what you think his goals are um or what what things that you think have been hinted at that might come to pass in season two what does he want with the portal why does he want lucy yeah why why does he want access to this portal my my biggest question is What's happening on Earth while all this is going on? Because, like, this camp that Luce should be in makes no effort to contact her mother. Yeah. And she's getting these And she's getting letters. these weird letters. And, and I would be interested in seeing, like, another character or, or in some way... Because they, they've established that they have the ability to, like, create clones they they can create illusions of other people that is one of the 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 tracks uh, i believe that's a track that gus is a part of 
but they also you they can't do magic on earth wasn't that also wait no does she do magic when they're in earth uh luce's magic does not work but ida's and lilith's does okay but they now don't have that okay but okay okay so I believe it's it's people who inherently have magic within them are still capable of doing it, but okay. the, using outside forces to try to create magic does not work anymore. That magic, I'm assuming, comes from the land, which is the whole, the you know, the aspect of wild magic and the runes is that it comes. Yeah, from that makes sense, and like, that would explain why like. Whereas the other witches have what is it the the like the, the like gland off their heart. <laughs> That was, that was another hysterical moment. But they have this, like, you know, black pumping gland that comes, and that's where their, like, magic comes from, which I thought was hysterical. But I'm wondering, because there's a brief moment where they open the door to the emperor, and he has this, like, giant beating thing over him that looks, at first glance, a lot like a heart, but is also dark, and on second glance could be the, a magic sack. And I'm wondering if the magic that gets removed from witches when they join a coven gets siphoned into that. Huh. Interesting. So it, it's it's like the emperor's intentional sectioning off of who can learn what magic is also a way for him to store magic and and do so in a way that is not super obvious to others. Because, like, to, to the general yeah. audience or to the general public in that world, they're giving up something that they don't really, they feel that they don't really need because they're not learning these covens of magic. But it's just siphoning off perfectly usable, perfectly acceptable uh, energy that that is, is just spread throughout. Yeah. So I that was my first thought. And I'm wondering, so that's one theory that I have in terms of, sort of the plan and also the purpose behind these actions of not just controlling the, the public, but also of creating a a store of magic for for himself or for, for the end goal. And I'm wondering if unification, because he said, I don't plan to harm your world. And obviously, you know, like, all right, can you trust this evil guy? But I think, I think the, the, the intention there sounded honest of like, what I am going to do is not just to create needless terror like we have a plan and in his mind it was for the betterment for for some betterment or for some goal and i'm wondering if the plan is to bring magic into that other world for some reason i mean the emperor strikes me as a character who's very much i am the one in power i'm going to stay in power i'm going to do everything i can to not let anyone else gain said power could it be like a weird like manifest destiny thing of like I want power but I also want to be in control of more spaces because I I'm trying to feel like I again I'm not as confident in that theory as I am about the like the magic bit I I felt pretty good about that one I could be just atrociously wrong but I felt I was like I, I feel pretty good about the fact that they're probably siphoning magic into this weird beating thing I'm not quite sure why yet and I don't know if you have any ideas of what you think unification could stand for or what you think he could want with Earth. But I I mean That was like the big thing that I that that is my big guess for right now. Yeah, but like the Emperor's whole thing is he established this coven to keep the people of that world in line. And I'm sure he's aware that humans in the human world don't have access to this magic. 
Yes. So I, I, I can I can imagine the emperor being someone who sees this other world, sees some another kingdom he can control, another group of individuals that he can dominate over with his overwhelming power. And I can absolutely see him doing so with the concept that what he is doing is good, that what he is doing is, is correct yeah. to him. Right, exactly. I am giving these people a better world. I'm giving these people access to order and, right, like, if those are the things that he values, giving them to other people would be a good thing to him. Obviously, we're like, no! I would be be interesting to see if there's some aspect of Earth that is important to him. Like, if there's... Yeah, that would... Because we also don't know anything about his history. For all we know, he could have come through the portal. What if he's human? What if, what if have we seen him do well we've seen him do magic but again could could he have obtained it a different way because we know that Luz can do the the runic magic which is yeah different. we also have that scene where he is weakened and he has to put that elixir into his mask so yeah. like that could be the source of his maybe maybe him siphoning off magic from the other witches is how he powers himself yeah Perhaps. Also, can we talk about how great it is that witch is just used as a gender-neutral term? Because I dig oh, that. Oh, yes. Oh, love it. Love it so much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Larry just slipped me a sticky note because he, he's listening in and he has something that he wants to say. <laughs> so I'm going to read I'm gonna read this sticky note. It says, and it would ultimately allow him to return magic. Wait. What does this say? Do you want to see? Can, can he, can please, he say it into the podcast? Please, please. Okay. This is a guest appearance from Lawrence. My lover. I was just thinking that, you know, it would You gotta also, get closer to the mic, dear. I was also thinking that it would allow Luce to retain magic when she returns to Earth. Explain that a little more. Um, so it looked like when she was in Earth for a hot second and tried to use magic on the sister whose name I've forgotten. Ida or Lilith. Lilith. Okay. Um, it looked like the runes or the glyphs or whatever they were just sort of like crumbled. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the emperor tries to get magic into Earth, ultimately, as far as the narrative is concerned, it would allow it would be a great and convenient way for Luce to be able to keep her abilities mm. once she returns home. Mm. That's true. And he might have found a different, like we said, if he is ultimately human or if he is something that doesn't have natural magic and he's found another way to do it, then that opens up avenues for Luz too. I'm also wondering, I'm getting very nervous because like like Luz's biggest fear, which is her mom, my slowly biggest fear, two, two big fears that I've got are one, uh, Luz and Amity will never kiss. That's my big fear number one. And the big fear number two is I'm, really nervous about how they're going to deal with this ultimate like double world that Luce is living like that I feel like that's going to be a really devastating part of the show and I'm so I'm so scared for it to happen because I don't know how it's going to end yeah because like at no point does Luce acknowledge that she's staying there like it's always it's always been I'm here for the summer this is going to be my summer camp I do intend on returning home at the end of this yeah, but again, now we're seeing her develop, you know, potentially romantic relationships. She's already developed friendships. She has all these other figures, and, like, it's becoming more and more... Per- 
permanent. And now, especially the fact that she's she's literally, to her own knowledge, created an environment where she she thinks that it will be permanent now and that she will not be able to go home. Like, I don't know, man. I'm scared. I, I just put something together. Say it. And I can't believe it took me this long to realize this. Oh my god, what? Luce's first spell is a light spell. Right? That's yeah. literally her name. I don't even speak Spanish and I knew that! I don't know why that I don't know why that took so long to get to me. <laughs> I literally was like, that sounds familiar. I bet it means light. That's Oh my god. I was literally ready for you to say something beautifully profound. Like, no, no. Because, <laughs> well, like, Luz, Luz is, a, is a common name in, in a lot of Hispanic households. So I just, like, I took it for granted. I was like, yeah, her name is Luz. Let's move on. And I never put together the fact that she learns a light spell as her first spell in this world. Oh, my God. As a literal representation of herself. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Good. Well, we've uncovered everything we possibly can. <laughs> we did it all. We wrote the Woo! whole second season. We have. It's right here in front of me. So do you know if there's any like speculation on a release date for season two? I believe I okay. believe season Surprise, two has been tomorrow. confirmed. If it hasn't, my heart is going to break into a thousand pieces right now and we will never be able to record another podcast episode. Uh, so season, it has been confirmed for season two. Good. Whew. Uh, I don't believe we've gotten a release date for it yet. Ah. But this show also ah. came out this year. Oh. Oh, wow. Well, I will now I... have to watch season one on repeat, I guess, <laughs> and, until season two comes out. And then I'll, you know, take a couple days off of work and just watch it straight through. If it's released that way. I don't know if they're doing like a... Well, season one was released weekly. Oh, okay. Darn it. I can't. I can't just sit down and watch it all at once. No. No, you cannot. I guess for those who have gotten to this point in the episode and have not seen it for some reason, this is a show that that will be on Disney Plus in the the entirety of season one will be on Disney Plus come October 30th. Sweet. I mean, that's, that's all I have for this show. At this yep. point, we, we will absolutely be it's returning great. to this come season two. And just so you know, to prep you, if season two comes out and we do get an on-screen kiss from Luce and Amity, the entire episode of our podcast will just be me screaming. Good. I look and forward to it. So stay tuned. Fingers crossed that this does happen. Or I guess now that you've heard my plan that it doesn't. Because you don't want to listen to me scream for... You don't know that. <laughs> but just know that if they do, I will be somewhere and I will be screaming. And it will be the best day of my life. But yeah, we will absolutely be returning to this probably once season two is concluded. But that being said, we are Annie MedPod on Gmail and Twitter. Uh, if you are interested in watching The Owl House, it is currently available on Hulu with the Hulu Live add-on and will be available on Disney Plus starting October 30th. I do also want to plug one thing on the date of this release. Uh, come a week from then on October 24th, uh, a, a friend of mine will be streaming a charity live stream on Twitch. That is uh, twitch.com slash eons of Ian. I will be 
making him some cookies for this stream uh, that are all shaped like the little Among Us characters, uh, and some of which I will be filling with a special ingredient that I do not want to reveal the nature of. Currently, Ian is under the impression that it is wasabi. It will not be. But yeah, uh, all of the the money that they are they are currently getting donations for are going to the American Cancer Society, uh, and I will have a link in the description uh, regarding all of this. Uh, Nadia, do you have any plugs you'd like to share? Any any anyone anyone's work you would like to to put out? Any local events that you'd like to put an emphasis on? No, I woefully do not. All right. Well, thank you for listening. This has been a pleasure. Bye.